0: This is your place for all things Detroit Red Wings and all things Chicago Blackhawks. With your hosts Jordan Linscott, David Barnhouse, Nick LePage, and Tim Stampinato. This is the Stick Play Podcast. Good evening ladies and gentlemen you are listening to another edition of the stick blade podcast it is your place for all things detroit red wings all things chicago blackhawks and just general news around the nhl on tonight's show we've got a little bit of a short one um nothing major again we're on the off season right now uh, the whole league is basically not functioning at this point due to COVID restrictions. Uh, there's some talk about you know when the season's even going to start for that matter. And so on tonight's episode, we're going to be doing just a little talk about on each team's defensive pool, what the pairings might potentially look like for this coming season, and then also steps that we're looking for each player to take in terms of just development or role that they're going to take on. Um, tonight's episode is the first, I guess, official video podcast that we're going to be trying for the show. Um, hopefully, it works. If not, well, it was an experience that we tried anyway. Um, so, anyway, with that being said, that's our show for uh, tonight. I'm your host Jordan Linska, and I'm joined by my co-hosts David Barnhouse and Tim Stampinato. Nick is on hiatus right now, doing whatever an LG is. I don't know if that means he's getting a refrigerator, if he's getting a new television. He's becoming a refrigerator becoming a refrigerator thing. he's yes. gonna be like one of the new test people for the 6g internet that that i've heard that's in development where like it just goes like right into your skin or something oh
1: where yeah, elon musk is gonna a put a elon musk is gonna put a chip on your brain yeah
0: like you and just then he can
1: f- execute order 66
0: <laughs> it's just gonna be the matrix like you just put like little sd cards in and then all of a sudden whoosh, i know kung fu
1: <laughs> great
0: uh, but how are you guys doing tonight Doing well, man. Doing well.
2: I'm, uh, I'm reeling a little bit from that, uh, that Bears Lions game earlier today. I was so close to being happy, and uh, per usual, I was robbed of happiness. Thanks, uh, Chicago Bears. <laughs> hey,
1: that's what the Lions do to me every week. That's yeah, so. fair. <laughs> we finally robbed it from someone else, so it's yeah, okay. Yeah. You see. took it from me this week.
0: See, but you guys are both lucky because you guys at least get to know what to expect from your guys' clubs. Like, I'm a Titans fan, and for me, it's frustrating because we can hang with like the top teams some weeks, and then other weeks we're playing against just like, eh, middle-of-the-road teams, we just get completely blown out. Like,
2: No,
1: the, Derek the Henry Titans throws are such people. a weird team. But you have Derrick Henry, and he literally picks up grown men and throws them like their child.
0: He he just as like just the Leonidas great. carry.
2: But that's also the cruelty. Like, it gives you that much hope because you know they can do it, but then they decide to just not play some weeks.
0: <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I mean, if you guys for let's go ahead and just jump right into tonight's episode of the podcast. Um, like I mentioned at the offset, we're going to be talking about the defensive groups for uh, both the Chicago, uh, Chicago Blackhawks and the Detroit Red Wings. Um, I don't think it's really a secret to either team's fan base, is that those are positions that, both teams really need to get an overhaul of uh, the Red Wings, in particular. Um, t- Tim, since you're the uh, the lone Black Hawk host on this uh, tonight's <laughs> episode, why don't we start with the Hawks side of this podcast and just sort of look at their defensive group at this coming season and just sort of the steps that we're looking for players like Boquist or like Mitchell, for example, to take.
2: Here's the thing: the Blackhawks are in a weird position because we have so many different combinations and so many defensemen that could potentially be playing this year. And there isn't realistically room for everyone. Cause right now I'm looking at a list of, we've got Keith Murphy, Zadarov, Boquist, Seabrook, Dahan. And like that's six. And that doesn't count Mitchell. That doesn't count Lucas Carlson. uh, Bodan's going to definitely start in Rockford. I think that's where he's going to be best, growing another year there. Um, I think what's interesting, we're obviously looking for a step forward from Boquist, who had an up-and-down rookie season, but he had a realistic rookie season. He looked overwhelmed at times, but he still belonged there. He was making smart plays. He, He was making rookie mistakes, but he was a rookie. Uh the big step for me is did he bulk up a little bit? Did he gain a little more confidence? And is he gonna come into this year ready to take those next steps in his sophomore year? Uh I know that they've talked about either continuing to pair him with Keith as another mentor as a mentor role again, or pairing him with Zadorov, where you have a defensive first stay-at-home defenseman that can sort of protect the blue line and allow Boquist to explore his offensive potential a little bit more. That's exciting to me. What that means, however, is that if we have Zadarov and Boquist together, we still need to have a partner for Keith uh, and then fit. So we've got Keith Murphy, Seabrook, and DeHaan that realistically Seabrook's going to play. He's healed up. If he says he's back and ready, it's his spot to lose. I think that Ian Mitchell are like highly touted, you know, coming in star prospect. I think he's going to start in Rockford. I think his play could prove that he should be in the NHL, but where it's best served for the team at this time might be for him to start in Rockford be on that first line, uh, first defensive pairing, be their power play quarterback, all that play in all situations, and let him play for a year in the in the AHL. Uh, I think that that's going to allow him to be playing against men, which he wasn't before he was playing with college uh, and give other people like Dahan and Murphy it gives Z- uh, Zadorov time to show what he can do. That allows the more veteran players, to get their gel together and allows Mitchell to basically run wild in the AHL.
0: No, my thing was, I mean, you mentioned it, you know, Boquist had an up and down rookie season. I mean, part of that also was just because of, I mean, it was organizational need in terms of, you know, you you guys were pretty much injury ridden on defense last year. Decimated. And that call-up for him was interesting because it wasn't a, this player's ready. Let's see what he has at the next level. No. This was literally a call-up of need. And like you mentioned, you know, it's it was an up and down year for him. I think the playoffs, admittedly, I think he looked a little bit out of place, oh, yeah. but he showed like he was at least taking steps in the right direction, um, just in your opinion, do you think that the Hawks should put him with Keith again? Or do you think they should actually pair him with a guy like Sadorov? Because I think Keith is obviously going to get the top competition. He's their certified top pair defenseman still. And I don't think there's really a question about that. But is that competition just Boca's playing against the top, something that he can really handle right now?
2: I think having him with Keith last year was incredibly beneficial From a mentorship standpoint, I don't think that it serves either of them this year to be together. I think that if Boquist is able to play with Zadarov, if Zadarov shows that he can be defensively responsible like he's supposed to be, I think putting him on a second or third pairing as Zadarov and Boquist allows Boquist to play against not top-line talent and gives him a little more flexibility to build confidence, try his plays a little bit more, hone his skill set and craft and what it also does is free up Duncan Keith. Duncan Keith the last year and even the year before that with Haru had to be that much more defensively responsive. Couldn't pinch a little bit more and couldn't risk some of those more offensive plays because he was serving as the defensive-minded defenseman. Giving him someone like murphy or dahan or if seabrook can do it get him up there like let keith be keith and let him run wild again instead of having to mentor somebody i think that's going to put boquist and keith in places that they can maximize where they're at
0: okay i mean you just mentioned seabrook i mean it- it seems like from everything that I've seen on social media, Seabrook has full intentions to come back and play with the club. Um, last year, he had that that injury, which basically put him out for a good portion of the season. Let's say Seabrook doesn't make that jump back. Let's say the doctors tell him, "No, nah, you probably shouldn't be playing right now, still." Or it's just it's so evident on the ice when he takes the ice that he shouldn't be playing. How do you think that impacts then the way that the Hawks handle their defensive pairs? Because again, Seabrook is a veteran like Keith, who was there and who has plenty of time in the NHL. I mean, he was one of the defensive core pieces for them during those cup runs.
2: Okay. Oh, we don't get, we don't get at least one of the cups. We don't get the 2013 cup in my mind without Seabrook. Uh w- His leadership – his skill set that he brought to the table in those years along with his leadership is completely valuable. But what it does if he doesn't make – if he's still on long-term injury reserve or just has to come back later, that frees things up a little bit uh, because now you don't have to worry about fitting him in and you can either put Mitchell in there to start or – one of my favorite dark horse candidates, Lucas Carlson, who has shown uh, in the games that he played last year, in his play in Rockford the last couple of years, smooth skating, smart puck moving defenseman. Uh, I-, I think that Lucas Carlson could hang in the show, full time. Frankly, maybe not as a top four, but as a third pairing guy. The- that's what we need is someone who's sound and like responsible. I say that I think Lucas Carlson comes in there. I think that he's a fine seventh def- uh, seventh defenseman, but if you've got him and Mitchell or him and Boquist switching out games, that way the rookies are getting chances to breathe. Now we've got ourselves a little more uh, mixed match based on the competition. You've got more people growing and you don't have to worry about keeping Seabrook happy, which I, I think is an important aspect.
0: Okay. I mean, David, let's say you're in Chicago's shoes and you've got, you know, these basically two rookies. I mean, Boquist uh, isn't considered a rookie by contract situation this year just because, you know, he exceeded the nine games last season.
2: Legally, he's not a rookie.
0: Yeah, right. Like contractually speaking, he's not a rookie. But in terms of actual play time, I think he would still classify as a rookie. I mean, like let's say you're in Chicago's shoes in this I'm. What do you think that the right move is for them to do?
1: I mean – there's pluses and minuses to it. I mean, you pair him with a guy like Keith, top line defenseman, put him on the top line. He's going to learn and be mentored by Keith. But at the same time, he's going up against, you know, top pairing teams. You know, he's going to face guys like Connor McDavid, guys like Dylan Larkin, um, all those types of players. And that might be hard for him to keep up with when he's still kind of learning the NHL side of the game. I mean, then you put him down, and a second or third line pairing. Is he going to get as many minutes to develop? Not as many as a first line pairing. Um, so it's a, it's a really tough choice to me. I mean, he had flashes last year where he looked really good. Um, start him on the first line. If he's struggling, just bump him down a line. I mean, it's it's going to hurt your veteran too. Guys like Keith having to work with someone that they're not as comfortable with. But you got to fight through that as a team. So if he's struggling, move him down. If he's thriving, keep him there.
0: Okay. Um, the other question mark for I think Chicago is really Zadorov. I mean, Bowman talked about in a lot of his media pressers that they want to use Zadorov kind of as a uh, almost like a facilitator to help guys, you know, ease into this level of competition because he's not a certified top pair guy. So you're not going to throw him out against these top line guys, you know, like, like a McDavid or a Crosby or an Ovechkin or, or a Backstrom I mean, or McKinnon he did play or
2: against Patrick Kane a lot with Colorado, which mm-hmm. I thought was an interesting thing to note that he was consistently out against Kane. That's, that's the only thing that I can think of with him playing against top line talent, but it is something interesting to know.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, in just in terms of like, his traditional play time. He's not going to be just constantly going against the top line, like competition that you'll see a guy like Keith or Seabrook going for at least Seabrook when he was at his top of his game. So, I mean, Zadarov, I think fits that, you know, middle pair or bottom pair defensive position. If they're looking to develop one of the young players, Um, you know, you mentioned uh, Lucas Carlson. He's somebody who in particular does not have a lot of time at the NHL level. And even, you know, you just said he, you think he starts in Rockford. Um, do you think that maybe the coaching staff, if Seabrook's not coming back says, all right, we're going to put Mitchell, I oh, said Mitchell, they're going to bring Carlson up. They're going to put him with Zadorov on the bottom pair and they'll play, I don't know, Murphy and Boquist on the second pair. Or how do you think that that works then?
2: If, if it were me putting things together, uh, I would put, Zadorov and boquist together on what would be technically considered the third line or the third pairing at that point and i would put dahan and uh dahan and murphy together to start wait a minute no i lied uh lucas carlson and murphy that's what i would put and i would put keith and dahan together up at top okay uh, because I think Dahan and Murphy could be a phenomenal just shut down, nothing's getting through uh, lockdown pairing, which really excites me. Um, yeah, they, they could do that. Uh, I think Carlson offers a lot of – Carlson offers balance because he's a left-handed defenseman and Murphy's a right-handed defenseman. And they each do that offensive, defensive. So that could work. Zadarov and Boquist and Keith and DeHaan. Okay. That's, that's what I would start the year with.
0: So, I mean, that kind of covers the pairings. Um, what steps in terms of development do you think that these players need to be taking, in particular the really young guys like a Boquist or like a Mitchell or like Carlson? Because this is, I think, really the chance for these guys to start developing in terms of just establishing what kind of players they are going to be at the NHL level.
2: Yeah. I think Boquist, the main thing that I'd like to see steps in this year, obviously I want to see more of that offensive potential. I want him to tap into that a little bit more, but that's going to come with confidence and not being stuck in the defensive zone. So his offense is going to come from a little smarter, a little sounder defensive play. Maybe get a little better with his stick. He's never going to be a guy that is taking runs, you know, checking guys into the boards, things like that. But if he can get a little tighter on his stick, uh, and if he can use that, utilize that a little bit better and get some of those clean plays out, then that's the step that's going to allow him to tap into his offense if he's not hemmed into the defensive side the whole time. Uh, Lucas Carlson I think it's just reps at this point I think he's shown th- where he's at uh, I think he's defensively sound he has some offensive potential he's intelligent with his plays now it's just a matter of doing it uh, and allowing him the opportunity to do it uh, any step forward this year is because he's getting the reps Mitchell is an unknown. I mean, in a lot of ways, he's never played an NHL game. We know he captained Denver last year. We know he's a phenomenal prospect. Uh, I think he re- he reminds me a lot of Keith when he was younger. Uh, with that in mind, I still think that Mitchell's best move for both the club and for his growth is to start the year in Rockford.
0: Okay. Um. Is there anything else you want to talk about on the Hawks uh, and before we move over to the Red Wings side of the podcast, Tim?
2: I'm excited to see DeHaan this year and excited to see if Dehan stays healthy, which I think has been a big issue the last couple of years for him, even when he was in Carolina, uh, because he kept re-injuring the same shoulder. And that's one of the things that typically injuries don't worry me if it's always a different thing but when it's the same thing over and over again, that, that starts to be a red flag. And especially so- if Seabrook isn't able to start the year and we've got Dehan who's doing all right. And then he's knocked out now. Uh, now we're a little uh, thin again. Now do we rush Mitchell? Now do we put Bodan in and get him a cup of coffee? Uh, Dehan's health is going to be a big one for me.
0: Okay. Is
1: it, doesn't worry you it's okay he's only broken his left leg then his right leg then his left foot then his right foot then he tore his arm off his but they sort of got gone he's gonna be fine because it's all different things
2: well <laughs> that's just a bunch of bad luck at that point uh,
0: i think if that basically covers everything we can move over to the red wing side of this podcast time
1: out, time out. i feel like i've seen tim drink out of like four different things
0: <laughs> i I'm saw gonna, the big mug I saw that was the only the mug, one that I saw. I saw the can, and I feel like I saw
1: something else. Maybe I'm just going crazy.
2: Yeah, you know, I've got a wide assortment I've, I've got a bottle of water. I've got a cherry coke. I've got a, a cup of tea. That, you know,
1: that happens I like to me when I'm teaching. Them. When I'm teaching in the morning, I'll have my. You can see them there on the table. My cup and my coffee mug, and my students will be like, "How many drinks do you have over there, Mr. B?" And I'm like, "Just my coffee and water, guys."
2: Double
0: fisting. Uh, We can move over to the Red Wings side of this podcast now. Um, So looking forward into this season, uh, the Red Wings basic defensive group. And I guess, again, this is all, I guess, kind of speculative because the Red Wings had, what was it, three off-season departures. was it Jonathan Erickson left, Trevor Daly left. Trevor
1: Daly Uh, moved on to a winning team. (laughs) the <laughs> winner
0: technically yes he did he did go to pittsburgh to be like some like coaching uh staff yeah. or something like that for their front office
1: erickson daly
0: uh who's it yeah. oh bowie madison bowie he was the other one mm-hmm. um so then we, we brought had, in a
1: bunch of people too
0: we did yeah. um so in terms of this season, it looks like, at least in terms of certified roster players that Detroit's going to have on their blue line, um, Mark Stahl, the pickup from the New York Rangers this offseason, uh, they're going to have John Merrill, Troy Stetcher. Those are two other uh, pickups that they had this off season. Patrick Yeah, Patrick Nemeth. Uh, you're going to have Phil Peronic and Danny DeKaiser still. So that's at least your base core looking at this season. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Looking at others, we still have uh, Chelowski, Lindstrom, and Sider that are still kind of floating around there too.
0: Yeah, those are the guys who are kind of on like like the outside bubble of it trying to press in. Um, just looking at our group, David, what do you think is going on with this group? Do you think that the moves that we made this offseason were an upgrade? or like How do you view them? Because I don't feel like the Hawks were necessarily <laughs> active on – the offseason for defensive pickups like we were so like i feel like our defensive group completely changed compared to last year
1: oh for sure it's completely changed eiserman's bringing in people he knows too like he's worked with a few of them i think um but i don't think these are our hey we're gonna make the playoffs defensemen these are guys that are filling roster spots they have short contracts. They're, they have a veteran presence. They're going to help our young guys develop. Um, but they're going to help the team. You know, It's not like he's just saying, okay, uh, put that traffic cone on the ice so we can save money. No, we have we have to spend money to, to, to have a team, and we can't just throw all of our young guys in there because they're going to struggle. Um, so he's getting guys like Stahl, like Nemeth, like uh, Lynch and Merrill, or Merrill and yeah whoever Stetcher um, Stetcher um I don't even remember the signing of Stetcher so he's a <laughs> brand new person to me I remember seeing the Merrill announcement and they all and I'm like I I don't even remember seeing the Stetcher announcement was that yesterday <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> um, but yeah these aren't guys that are going to bring us back to the cup these are guys that are going to help the rebuild process they're going to fill up roster spots and help the young guys you know grow and develop
0: to me at least um I mean, just looking at the season in terms of like the players that we're going to have access to, Detroit's in a weird spot because Filipranek took a huge step forward last season, basically logging, I think it was like 23 minutes on average a night, which is in terms of defensemen, a pretty high number. That's a top pairing defenseman's numbers mm-hmm. um, played power play. It was, I believe it was about a half a point per game, which as a defenseman is not bad at all. Oh. Um, and then from there you've got Danny DeKaiser who I think is a top four defenseman still not a top pair guy but just I think like a middle pair defenseman. You've got Stahl who I think is a bottom four guy. You have Nemeth who again bottom four guy. Stetcher like we have so many like bottom four defensemen, and only one certified top four slash top pair guy this season going in. Mm-hmm. Um I think realistically what I would like to see from the Red Wings uh, defensive pairs, I would like to see Philip Heronick being placed with Patrick Nemeth. I think Heronick is an offensive powerhouse when it comes to defensemen. And Nemeth is more of like the shutdown type guy. He's not an offensive defenseman, in my opinion, you can put, stall on the middle pair with basically whoever you want because see that's basically what he's going to be serving as is a middle pair defenseman mm-hmm. and then the bottom pair you're literally putting Stetcher and either like Biega or um, gosh Merrill. Merrill so they have a decent middle pair they have like a half of a top pair and then the bottom pair is basically just whoever yeah
1: um, yeah, I was looking at a bunch of, um, people's predictions for lineups and there was a bunch of them that were like, De DeKaiser as the first pair. And I'm like, yes, heronic, definitely. First pair defenseman for me, hands down. Um, uh, Kaiser coming back from a back injury. Um, I've never been super high on him. Yes, he's a home kid, hometown kid, all that stuff. Um. I would put him down to the second pair just because he's unknown to me right now because of his injury. Um, and like you said, Haronic is a very offensive defenseman. Put a guy like Nemeth with him, defensive defenseman. My second line pairing, I would probably put, like I said, Danny DeKaiser there with Mark Stahl. I was actually leaning Mark Stahl first pair, but I'm like, Nemeth is the more defensive guy. And we need that to help cover for um, heronic, And then third pair, like you said, you have your um st- Stetcher? Stetcher. 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 Skechers 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 <laughs> Skechers um, Skechers and um, you know the Pokemon Meryl you know <laughs> um, so,
2: Sketchers and Pokemon there we go Skechers, and, Skechers and Pokemon perfect third line
1: you have them and then you have all these other guys that I don't I like Biega could fill in third pair second pair whatever but and I know we're going to talk about it, but guys like Sider, who is our defenseman of the future, we have Choloski and Lindstrom, those guys that we saw play a lot last year. I wouldn't want them to fill in on a third line pair. Like I would actually put Sider first or second at times when we call him up just to get him those minutes. But let's talk about that, I guess.
2: I was going to ask where you guys see Sider popping up this year. Uh, Cause I know you were both high on him. Uh, I'm just curious if he's earned in your mind a full-time slot in the show, or if he's still gonna cook in the AHL for a year.
0: So I think Mord Slider should be at the NHL level. If you look at his track record for like his play through the past couple of years, he was very good in the DEL. He came to the AHL, was very decent. He wasn't, you know torching the league by any means but you could definitely tell he was not out of place and he's literally just running through people over in Sweden right now I'm pretty sure he's one of the top scoring defensemen right now in the league which the SHL is basically considered you know one of the top three leagues in the world I mean it's literally the NHL the KHL and then the SHL those are basically the top three leagues in the world yeah so you've got him literally dominating at a level that's not really super far underneath the NHL in terms of skill level I think he needs to be at the show I mean you can't tell me that he's going to be any worse than Alex Biega for example or that he's going to be any worse than Adam Ernie I just don't see it
1: Adam Ernie is a forward though
0: is he? no I could have sworn he was sorry Uh, it was was Biega and um... Skechers (laughs) Skechers Skechers
2: Is there any chance that they use st- <laughs> Sketchers? Uh, now nah, I'm shot now. Uh, is there any ch- chance that they use him or Merrill as your seventh defenseman, or Big as the seventh defenseman, and jockey things around and maybe put Cider with Stall?
0: I mean, I could see Cider with either Stahl, or I could see him with Takayzer on the second or second pair. Yeah.
2: I mean, maybe if if that's the case, maybe they put Stahl on the third line, and he's a veteran presence. But I mean, his speed, his skates aren't what they used to be. He's still mm-hmm. a sound defensive mind. He can still shut people down. But he's not. he, he he's not where he was a, a couple years ago. Of I'd have been not. thrilled to have him on a top four but what he can still provide is that veteran presence and those intangibles that I love so much while still so providing, like <laughs> while still providing a safe and stable third line. And that maybe that opens things up for cider.
0: And that's the thing, right? Like Stahl wasn't let go from New York just because, you know, he was a bad player. No. New York needed to free up cap space. He's taking, mm-hmm. what is it? Almost five or $6 million. I think, I mean, the problem is his contract was too expensive for the players that they were getting. Yeah. And he's still a competent defenseman. He's not a top pair guy. I don't think any of us would say that he is, but he's definitely a guy that can fill your bottom four.
2: Yeah. And you're, and you're not going to, he's going to be perfectly serviceable. Uh, he was just a victim of the flat cap. Yeah. The, they mm-hmm. would have run out his contract. I think if the cap had gone up.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, of course, for sure. And that's the thing. He, they're on the hook for him for, what is it, one year basically. So I mean, it's it was literally New York had to shed dollars. They had to shed cap dollars somewhere. And it was a
2: good business strategic move to to get rid of him. But I don't think they would have gotten rid of that leadership unless they were in a position like that where they had to.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. New York's not a budget team. I mean, they literally have all the money they want to spend. They're like Dallas. They're like Detroit. Their owners are willing to fork out dollars. Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: but I really want to see Cider, like you said, playing more on the wings this season than the Griffins. I think he's capable. Um, my dream scenario is a Cider horonic line. That I know fun that you, to watch. you've
2: talked about that a couple of times, and I do like just from what I've seen from clips of both of them and from what you guys have described, that's your pairing of the future. That's, that's your top line.
1: That would be to me. I mean, they're not going to be anywhere near the caliber of player Lidstrom is like Lidstrom in my opinion, is one of the greatest hockey players of all time, the greatest defenseman of all time. Um, It's a bold statement. It would be like watching Lidstrom with Rafalski with me. Like I loved watching that pairing because Rafalski, Was a very smart defenseman. Lidstrom can do everything. Like Hironic can do so much on the offensive side, and Sider can do both. So, like, it'll be fun to watch if they both develop and they can both become, you know, that top pair defenseman together.
0: I mean, I I guess how I would kind of describe that pairing is Hironic and Sider have the potential to be Detroit's equivalent of. The Keith Seabrook pairing from when Chicago was a powerhouse. I'll take that. Keith played great shutdown and could contribute offensively. That's what Sider does. Mm-hmm. Seabrook and Heronic, both very offensive defensemen, just love to shoot. I think that's honestly like a great comparison in terms of like the role that those two can play on Detroit's team when the team's finally ready to be contending again.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah. I don't know if Sider's going to be as good as Duncan Keith, but I mean, I'm hoping.
2: Well, what is it? Who's, uh... oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, um, what's what's Dallas's top pair? Is that uh, Klingberg and Heiskanen?
0: I want to say yes. I want to say because it's Klingberg and Heiskanen.
2: Those two skill sets remind me a lot of what I'm seeing from Hronic and Cider. Like they've got a really nice. Blend and balance of skill sets, no real weaknesses, but definitely areas where each one shines.
1: Lindell, Klinberg, yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. I could get to it's just a very well-rounded if both of them pan out and continue to grow the way that they're projecting. It's gonna be just a reliable what you're looking for in a top pairing. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm now david what do you think is happening with lindstrom this uh this current season and lindstrom with the d just so everyone is That's not confusing it with nick lidstrom
1: <laughs> what would happen if like he wears like a dark shield face mask you know and the whole time it's just nick lidstrom <laughs> you not know, this season um i think he's gonna be in the ahl for a good portion of it i think he'll be a top line pairing there And he'll get called up, you know, throughout the season to play for the wings. He's looked good when he played for the wings. But like I said earlier, we have a lot of veterans that are filling up those roster spots right now. Um, but he'll come he'll come in every so often,
0: I think. No, And like that's the thing, right? Because I mean I don't think that Lindstrom is ready for the NHL full-time yet. Mm -hmm. I think probably the grand rapids griffins is the spot that they're going to put him in. I don't think that just in terms of size, he's ready. I don't think in terms of just speed, he's ready to play. He wasn't terrible when he was playing with Detroit, but you could definitely tell that there was work that needed to be done still with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, Chalowski Dennis Chalowski is just another weird piece in our pipeline. Cause I mean, Dan Cholo. so his last two seasons, he started with Detroit and during one of those seasons, he was absolutely on fire when it came to offensive production. I mean, he yeah. he was scoring at a, a very good rate for a rookie defenseman. And then teams adapted to him. They started exploiting the fact that he was not assertive enough in the defensive zone or in the offensive mm-hmm. zone to like really just force space and close gaps. <laughs> and so that caused his defensive liability. He gets sent back down. I mean, what do you think happens with him this season? Because I feel like this is one of those seasons where he's going to have a chance to really assert, if he gets a chance, a spot on this roster.
1: I don't think he makes opening night lineup. Um, But I think he will work his way into the lineup. And he's got to prove he can hang with the big boys. So he's shown it before with him being on that scoring streak, like we said. I could see him getting right back to it. So I have, I have faith in him. I like him a lot.
0: I mean, Steve Eiserman himself, he even had like a sit down with him and basically told him, you know, like, you know, you can, you can produce offensively, but he wasn't just being assertive enough when it came to Mm -hmm. his play time. I mean, do you think that's something that lights a fire under him to say like, you know, yeah, I can be better. I should be better. I mean.
1: When the captain tells you that, yeah, (laughs) he's telling you, he's saying you're good. But you can do better. And this is something that can be coachable. You know, you can work on your shot, you can work in your skating, you can work on your defensive presence, easily. It just takes a coach to do that with you and have a staff that can help you work with that and the veterans that you can play with, like the stalls, like the Sketchers, like the Pokemons, you know, they can help <laughs> him.
0: That that is John Merrill's nickname now and that's Troy Sketchers now. Sketcher oh, Sketcher the Sketchers.
2: All I all it is is Sketchers now. I'm, that's it.
1: <laughs> we should buy him a pair of those one weird ass looking Sketchers that are like the tidal wave looking shoe that helps with your walking support. <laughs> tidal wave for you for you Sketchers. We love Happy you from the Stikway
0: voice. <laughs> get, like, get like a pair of like just blank white sketchers and then have somebody like draw his face on them and then just put that next to the sketchers logo. Sketchers. I mean,
1: I, I get it. They're the, they're the arch fit. That's what those are called. <laughs> right? I
2: uh, don't know. Last time I saw a pair of sketchers, it was on Legends of the Hidden Temple and that was the big prize. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: These things. What the heck are these things? Hold on. I'm going to hold this up to the screen. The hell are you? Look at oh. that.
0: There's more sole than shoe there. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Look at that A lot
2: of... So- God bless you. All right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's literally more sole than shoe. They're running shoes.
1: <laughs> How could I run in that?
2: Yeah, that's... Well, now you send him that shoe. You say, congratulations, Skechers. You're the soul of the team. <laughs> but
0: in all seriousness, though, I mean, I I really think that maybe that's what Detroit's going to do with uh, with Lindstrom. I mean, maybe they'll play him as a 7th D if they think that out of camp that he looks like he's potentially ready to be, I don't want to say a regular, but a fill-in guy for them. Mm-hmm. Um I can't think of a forward that they would have as like a 13th forward besides maybe Evgeny Svechnikov or Giovanni Smith, but we're going to talk about that in a different episode yes, because...
1: Goalies, I mean, we can do a quick rundown on goalies. The Red Wings have Grice and Bernier, and I think they're going to be a 50-50 split. Mm-hmm. I think I think Bernier gets opening night just because he's been here, um, but I think they'll split 50-50. And
0: that's the thing, I mean... Thomas Grice and Jonathan Bernier are not bad goaltenders. No, not um
1: I think Grice is better, but mm-hmm. Bernier's the
0: team veteran.
1: And that's the thing not right. that Jimmy Howard's gone. I mean,
0: you look at the losses last season that Detroit suffered. A lot of those losses were not Jonathan Bernier's fault. Let's let's just be very clear on that. Like those losses were not on him. I saw plenty of games where he stole the show and kept that team in the game, even yep. if they lost, he was the one that kept that team in the game. And Thomas Grice looked perfectly serviceable with the Islanders this past season. Maybe it was because they played more of a trap game, but either way, Thomas Grice has shown that he's an NHL caliber goaltender. He's not going to be the one who's bringing this team down in the way that Jimmy Howard just could not seem to stop a puck last season to save his life.
1: And that's the thing with Jimmy. Like I love Jimmy, but he's had like groin injury and injuries that will hamper your ability as a goalie and we've seen it like god bless him love the guy did want like love him on the team but we need to move on Mm -hmm.
2: and i think this is a good transition pairing of goalies for you guys Mm -hmm. frankly i mean you could do a lot worse than a tandem of grice and bernier uh but it's all it also fits where your team's at you're not looking for a lights-out franchise goaltender right now. No.
1: And I it's can't think not... of one. Yeah. I can't think of one in the prospect pool right now that I'm like, that's our goalie for the future. Like, at a time, I thought it was Mrazek, and then we just traded him. So, yeah. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, Detroit doesn't – it's like you said, Dave. They don't really have that certified starter-caliber goaltender in their system who looks like he's going to step in and take the reins over anytime soon. I mean – people were really high on Fulcher, but he hasn't really panned out the way people wanted Mm -hmm. him to. Uh, Pottleberg hasn't panned out. Um, Petrozelli didn't pan out. I mean, there are so many goaltenders that Detroit has had recently that just don't pan out for whatever reason. And I think Mm -hmm. maybe Bernier and Stetcher. Oh my God, this is terrible. You've got me saying it all the time now. Bernier and Grice. (laughs) (laughs) Detroit t- <laughs> Stetcher is playing goaltender. That's insane.
1: Sketchers is, <laughs> is living rent-free in your head right now. How does that make you feel?
0: No, but I, I think Bernie and Grice are, like you mentioned, I mean, Detroit could do infinitely worse on their goaltender yeah. pairing. Grice is I think going to be the better goaltender, like you said, uh, Tim, but I think it's not a bad pairing. It's still not going to get you to the playoffs, I don't think, but
2: but that's not what you're shooting for.
0: That's it. That's not what they're shooting for. I think it's an improvement over last year, and Grice is not old, but he's not young, so he may even stick around after you know his contract is up this year. If Detroit offers him the right cap money, and I mean they're not in a bad spot. Um, mm-hmm. We can talk about the Hawks goaltending situation because you guys have a really interesting one. Boy.
2: It is... I'm excited. No, I'm going to be really, really honest with you guys. I'm very excited for uh, the goaltending adventure that we're about to go on together. Uh, I think that the year is going to start with Suban and Delia. I'm not sure which one's going to be the starter, but it's going to be those (coughs) two that are our starter and backup. And I think that... I don't think every other game is going to benefit them. I think they need to go for four or five games and switch, you know, play Mm -hmm. four or five games in a row for each other because I want to see, I'm really high on Malcolm Subban. I think that he is just at the point where he's, if he's going to tap into his potential, it's right now. And if he can get consistent playing time, like we've seen statistics that show the longer he plays and the more comfortable he gets, his save percentage and whatnot is better with extended periods versus the every once in a while game.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Whereas I really like Colin Delia's progression the last couple of years. He's gone through some adversity. Uh, he's rebounded really well from when there's been slumps. And I, I think that mentally – he's ready to be a starter if he's going to be, and we're just going to let Lincoln and run wild in the AHL as the full-time starter. And by halfway through the year, he could very well have swooped in and taken the starting position. I think we've got three goalies that are completely untested. It's the wild West of goalies out here. And I'm excited for someone to become the sheriff. Like someone's going to take it. Or we crash and burn, but we do it in style.
0: And, like, that's the crazy thing for you guys is that you guys are walking into a goaltender situation that is about as close to unknown at the NHL level as you can get.
2: I can't think of any other team that is in a situation in like the, that I can remember mm-hmm. that there's no for sure goalie.
0: And, like, fun. that's the weird thing for you guys is like, you don't have the certified starter. Like you, I wouldn't even say you have the certified backup. It's literally <laughs> just question marks. Yeah. Like
2: no, like that, that's it. not a
0: knock on any of the goaltenders, but I just, I think that's what it is. It's, it's literally just no, question it, marks.
2: It, it's not a knock on any of the goaltenders because they've never had the opportunity. Delia mm-hmm. was supposed to be the backup last year and then we signed Laner. and well, obviously, sorry deals. You're, you're back down. It's Leonard. Uh Malcolm Subban has been behind Fleury, so he hasn't gotten to play a lot because Fleury's a beast. Uh, Lankinen, the most we know about Lankinen is the fact that he backstopped, boy, I want to say Finland. I don't want to be wrong about that. It was Finland in the the World Cup, right?
0: That sounds right. I'm going to say yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, th- I, think, I think it's Finland. I feel really good about that. Uh, and all of a sudden, he took a ragtag group that had, like, no NHL players. And he uh, he brought them to glory. Like, each of these people could be it. Any goalie can get hot. It, I think it's going to be one of the more interesting storylines that the NHL is going to be watching this year. And we, mm-hmm. we've had Crawford for so long that, like, when Crawford's healthy, goaltending's never been a question for us.
0: I mean, you you just said it, Tim, you know, any goaltender can get hot. I mean, look at Jordan Bennington when St. Louis went on their run to the cup. Nobody saw him coming at the start of the season. I mean, Chicago, weirdly enough, could have that style goaltender this season. We don't know.
2: No. Uh, Look at Darcy Kemper. He, the, he certainly wasn't projected to be you know, a top-tier goalie. And all of a sudden, there he was, making Ronta look ex- expendable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's uh. Uh, it, Goaltending is the most unpredictable position uh, because it's really, you could have a goalie that is, look at Bobrovsky. Mm-hmm. One year, he's a v- Vesna quality. The next year, he's at the bottom of save percentages. Brizgalov. Ilya Brizgalov was supposed to be the next big thing in goaltending and all he's known for now is wonderful sound bites. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, even Anton Q from Dallas last year. I yeah. mean, nobody mm-hmm. saw him come in either and he literally carried them to the finals.
2: Yeah. He, yes, he did. He we'll see how he does it. this year. Could I'm... be one of ours. <laughs>
0: You know, that would be such a weird position to be in, I think, to just literally go from being a goaltender who's not even on the radar of most fans to literally carrying your team through the playoffs to, like, a Stanley Cup final. That has got to be such a weird ride as a player.
2: Oh, man. I love it. I, I love storylines like that.
0: I mean, like, that just, it's got to be so weird. I mean, Jordan Bennington just he was the one that I mentioned. So I'll talk to, about him. I mean, literally he went from playing in like the ECHL to playing in the Stanley cup finals over like the course of a year. That is an insane like journey.
2: Yeah. And the fact what? that he was so calm and so un he like got into his zone and wasn't phased by anything is really, really impressive. Cause I I would have been in my head the entire time. Like, Oh, this is going to bust at some point. I'm they're all going to realize that I'm a fraud at some point. Uh, (laughs) and he was just cool as ice.
1: And that's the thing
0: like Chicago might have that situation this season. I mean that you guys have realistically three goaltenders to rotate with. I think at least one of them might eventually get hot. Mm
2: -hmm. I hope (laughs) (laughs) that'd be great.
0: Um, does anybody have anything else they want to talk about on uh, this episode of the podcast before we, we close her out? They want to buy stock and sketchers.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. It's go- It's going to rise this year. Um, the only thing that I did want to bring up really, really quick, and I don't have a ton to say on it just because I don't have like all the information in front of me, but I'm super excited that the Blackhawks hired Kendall coin, mm-hmm. uh, to be part of their like coaching and player development team. I'm so excited because I'm a huge Kendall Coin fan, uh, she's fantastic, and just the fact that that's Chicago's first, uh, like female coaching and development uh, hire that they've had, and her skill sets and abilities and her knowledge of the game is going to be so invaluable. Like the tricks that she's had to use, and the, her training style and her development style ha- are so different in a lot of ways mm-hmm. that having this unique and fresh perspective for our uh like our prospects and our developing players man i'm really excited to have her on the team and have her guiding the next crop of blackhawks
0: mm-hmm. and the thing is i mean like she knows what she's talking about i listened to her com- yeah. what is she i'm trying to remember who i heard her uh, do commentary for but she knows what she's talking about when she's watching games. She knows what she's seeing in front of her, like when she's watching it. So it's, it's one of these things where she's got playing experience. I mean, obviously she hasn't played NHL, but she knows in terms of just hockey sense, what's going on when it's happening. And I think that's huge. I mean, that's awesome for the Blackhawks to have something like that.
2: Yeah. I I, I think we are only going to be stronger with her on the team or as, as a part of the team.
1: Jordan, you said earlier about the season start. Wasn't there a talk that it was starting New Year's Day? Mm -hmm, They
2: pushed that back, I believe. Is it January 15th now? Uh,
1: Just lock lock them in the bubble again.
2: It's something like 56 games is the most recent uh, union talks have been. There's going to be about 56 games. It's either starting mid to late January I know there's concerns that it could realistically get pushed back to the start of February, but both sides want to get in as many games as possible. So I think yeah. mid to late January is when they're going to start barring any major concerns.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was actually the last thing I kind of wanted to talk about on uh, this episode. Um So there have got to be big ramifications for this decision. So, for anybody who follows other sports, the NHL's player union has one of the strongest player unions in all of the major sports leagues. I mean, it has got ridiculous amounts of sway when it comes to the owners, when it comes to the player salaries, when it comes to the TV deals and all that, it has huge amounts of sway. Mm -hmm. My question about this is the players union agreed on, you know, like a date with the owners and they started to get their plans and, and all set in stone. And now the dates are changing. I don't think that the players union is going to look at, you know, the situation. And the thing is, I guess my question would be, how much do you think that the players union is going to look at this decision to possibly offset the season moving forward and saying, you know, we had a deal set in place. The owners basically tried to renegotiate the deal when they're the ones who set the original stipulations that we agreed to, do you think that gives them leverage moving into, you know, future considerations moving forward? Or Just the fact that, you know, the players union, they had all their their debt, like their debts set for like player salary and all that. They had dates set for like, you know, these are the dates that we're planning for returning to play for training camps, stuff like that. The players union had all those things agreed on with the owners. The owners are changing that now. I know it's due to COVID and all that, but do you think that in the future that's something that the players union is gonna reference and say, Well, you guys, we gave you this slack here, you're gonna give us Slack now. From- I think maybe.
2: Oh, go ahead, David.
1: I think maybe. I mean, COVID is such a tricky thing because this is something that we've never really experienced. Um but yeah, I could see the players possibly using this um, as some type of leverage. Do I think they will? No, but who knows what's going to happen down the road in the future.
2: Strictly speaking, from a labor relations standpoint, it depends entirely on how far the owners go, and how what they agree upon, how many times they agree upon something, and then change their minds. Because they, yes, COVID is unpredictable. Yes, we are finding new information and things are changing all the time. However, there needs to be a continued open communication with representatives. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. it's very easy for the Players Association to step back and say, we have continuously tried to bargain with you in good faith. And despite information changing, regardless of all that, you have continued to renegotiate after things have been agreed upon you're bargaining in bad faith and mm-hmm. man if you if you want to keep you know we have a tenuous piece right now between the owners and the players associate the players union i would really it would be in the owner's best interests realistically to if there are any changes that have to happen because of covid the first people that need to know before anything is taken into effect yep. is the representatives of the union, because yep. otherwise they're opening the door for uh, bad blood for the labor.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure. And that was my thing. I mean, you know, for me, I wouldn't have really thought about this until, you know, I really, I thought about the fact that, you know, the NHL, like I said, does have one of the strongest unions in sports. This isn't the NFL's okay. union or the MLB's union. Like, Hockey is such a small team sport that player pools are limited and that's what makes their union so strong. Yeah. Um, but no, I just kind of wanted your guys' opinions on that. Cause I saw that this week and I'm like, you know, that's kind of an interesting thought. That's, that's something I don't think a lot of people are talking about or thinking about at the moment.
2: Not enough. Nobody's talking about mm-hmm. labor issues enough as far as I'm concerned, but
0: nope. <laughs> <laughs> pro union.
2: Yeah, guilty as
0: charged. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I think that will be it for the show. Um, yeah. cool. Hopefully, uh, everybody who is tuning in watching or hopefully watching anyway, this episode has enjoyed it. Um, for your host, Jordan Lundscott, and by my co-hosts, David Barnhouse and Tim Stampinato, this has been another edition of the Stickblade Podcast. Um, if you ever want to get in touch with us, there are ample ample ways for you to do that there is the classic email address which is stickbladepodcast at gmail.com you can get in touch with us on twitter the twitter handle is at stickbladepod, all one word no underscores or anything like that um you can get in contact with us on youtube if this uh ends up working we're on youtube hopefully it does and also i mean You can also find us on SoundCloud or iTunes, so I don't think you can message us on iTunes because we don't have an official uh, profile on iTunes, but we do have on SoundCloud, so you can also find us there as well. Um, But with all that being said, again, thank you guys for tuning in to this edition of the Stickblade Podcast. You all have a safe evening, morning, afternoon, whatever time of the world it is where you're at, and thank you.
1: Remember, keep yourself hydrated, kids.